Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to a incredibly special edition. Do you agree with that, Lee? How could I not? How could I not? An incredibly special edition of FNO InsureTech, your favorite InsureTech podcast. And yeah. today is a big reason why we're one of your favorites, and that is we have two returning stars of our podcast. Guest stars, I guess. I guess yeah. you're the you're the star. I'm the co-star. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, thank you, Mister. <laughs> These people have stars on the InsureTech Walk of Fame. They they do. They both. I think they have. They both have a couple of stars on that. I think that idea should happen at ITC next year. Whenever you walk into ITC, which is gonna happen, when you walk into ITC, they're stars for players of InsureTech, like a saw from Hippo, right? Maybe our guest today. They all have stars. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. In fact, many people that have been on our podcast would have a star on the InsureTech Walk of Fame. Maybe it should be sponsored by the by the podcast. It's the FNO Walk of Fame. I'm thinking about various people. Robin Roberson, she'd oh, have absolutely. a star. Cole Winnis would have a star. I mean, yeah, so Steve many people. Matura would have a star. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And But these two I might have the first and second star, and we'll let them fight over Gold. which star is first. Gold stars. Gold stars. There you go. We can have different color stars. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we might have finally figured out how we're going to monetize the podcast by mm-hmm. selling stars. Here's the real question, Lee. What colors are, are what colors are stars? Oh, we're we're like green. <laughs> we're not we're not up there. We're They're we're circles. There are yeah. ours are opaque. You can't yeah, see and, our and name. Circles. You can't see anything. People would stand there and say, Who's this? And who are these guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know they let Jamokes have stars. <laughs> oh yeah. Those guys, they, they got one, and then everyone, everyone will say, guess anyone gets a star then. But we anyway. have two guests. We have two yeah. guests. Martha Noteras, managing partner at Brewer Lane Ventures, brilliant, brilliant VC, uh, and, and accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and Caribou Honig, co-founder of ITC, an all-around troublemaker and crazy guy with yeah. us to talk about InsureTech 2021, InsureTech 2022, InsureTech 2020. We had a podcast a year ago where we had Martha and Caribou on to talk about this new situation that we were in because um, I think we had them on maybe last late last March or, or early April to talk about this new crazy thing that was going on, this global pandemic called the coronavirus, called COVID-19. And the effect that it was having and that we were all locked down and everything's changing. And now, amazingly, a year later, after living in this global pandemic for a year, um, they're coming back to join us to look back, to look at today and look, to look forward. And we're, we're, we're honored to have them. And here is our fun conversation 
with Martha Noteras of Brewer Lane and Kara Buhonik of ITC and others. And thanks for being with us. Here we go. Hey, everybody. We're here with our very special guests, not just special guests, very special guests, veterans of our podcast who have both been on several times and veterans of the podcast universe, um, experienced people in the podcast domain. We have with us today, Martha Noteras, managing partner from Brewer Lane Ventures and Caribou Honig, troublemaker, wise guy, co-founder of ITC. Uh, there's a few other credentials. Did I miss anything? I'm basically, a, I'm, I'm a nuisance, particularly when Martha is is around. Okay. Um, in the insure tech space. Welcome. Thanks for coming back. Well, welcome, everybody. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little bit like a high school reunion today, folks. So you're just going to have to, you know, you're just going to have to listen to get through it. But let's talk about InsureTech 2021. And that's really why we're here today. Um, I think that when we had the two of you on just about a year ago to talk about this new normal that we're in, this new right. world that we had entered into, which was this world of closing down a lot of business across the country in response to a global pandemic that, as we all know, in retrospect or in hindsight, has taken an amazing toll on our country in so many different ways. But what we want to focus in on is what are the pluses and minuses that it's done for the insurtech world. And so we have two people here today who are intimately involved in that world every day. And so we want to just uh, chat with them about the past year and about the next year, kind of reflect on how things have changed and how they remain the same. So we'll, we'll start with you, Caribou. A year ago, we couldn't have guessed where things are. What kind of impact did we see from, from COVID vis-a-vis -vis InsureTech? Rob, you know, I think that COVID, other people have said this, and I believe it's true, has really accelerated a lot of trends that were already in motion. I spend some of my time now in future of work and you know healthcare tech and things like that, which are adjacent to insure tech as well. And it's really visible there. You know, once upon a time, like a year ago, telehealth was this marginal idea, you know, perhaps, you know, not even reimbursed by insurance providers in the health space. And thanks to COVID, thank you, COVID, telehealth is now actually mainstream. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that 90% of medicine will be delivered over telehealth, but we may go, you know, 20, 30% might be the norm, right? When you, when you got your kid coughing and you don't necessarily want to take them to the doctor's office and expose other kids to, to your kid's cough and you just want to figure out if it's safe to just get a prescription for antibiotics or do you have to take them in to, you know, maybe a quick telehealth appointment will do. Those kinds of changes right? Where really COVID is almost this platform shift, right? In the same way, going from the PC to the internet to the smartphone, COVID's like a whole new platform shift. New industries are going to be built off of it. And I think it's accelerating in short tech as well. You think about the claim space where, where you guys live. Absolutely. Right? You know, to what extent can a claim 
be processed by the by the insured, right, without having to be in proximity to a human, you know, adjuster there, right? There were already some trends afoot there trying to replace some of the interaction with technology. COVID really was a shot in the arm for that. Yeah, very much so. We saw that in our space very much in, in the first few months when everybody was kind of in the process of reacting and the large carriers were in that process, they took their field people out of the field entirely. And so we all had to adopt all kinds of different digital solutions, some that worked and some that didn't um, right. immediately, which is, as you all know, in the insurance world, change, change is not uh, change is not a word that makes a lot of people comfortable. And, yeah, uh, but, but it w- was certainly driven by uh, the requirements that were brought forth by COVID. What, what about you, Martha? What thoughts do you have on that? Well, I definitely agree that COVID drove a lot of people out of their comfort zone, and that actually has enabled more embrace and faster embrace of some of the digital aspect. But I guess what I really wanted to do first, since I do put out uh, predictions every year, I want to go back and own the podcast that Caribou and I did nearly a year ago, where I think we were much closer to being deer in the headlights of saying, we just don't know, boy, you know, we're going to see the week, the week fall away during uh, COVID and maybe all um, investments will stop in startups. And I just want to be out loud about this. We could not have been more wrong. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Come on, there was like a six-week ice age there, Martha. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know that that maybe that is uh, some of the uh, aspects. I don't know whether you've seen some of the discussions about Clubhouse that it is moving through the stages of social media more rapidly than anyone has moved through those stages before. So maybe a six-week ice age is the new norm. But I really do think that. What has happened is the mind shift happened a lot more quickly. I'm not going to go into a la-la land and say that incumbent insurers have stepped into a growth mindset, but a little. And I really do think that this discontinuity of COVID, of having to go very rapidly to a work-from-home scenario really did open up some people's minds. And I think if we fast forward five or 10 years, the people whose minds got opened during this period are going to be the winners. You know, that just makes me think, are people becoming more open to change when it comes to insure tech? Is it going to be easier for a insure tech to get in the doors of a large carrier uh, or organization now that their eyes have been opened, that there really is a need uh, because the unknown is out there. You know, we just went through something that that very few people really thought were, was going to happen to the extent that it did. So is it easier for an insure tech to get in the doors now? What do you think about that, Caribou? I would probably say no. Okay. I, I think that things were already in pretty good shape for the startups wanting to partner with the, the incumbents. Not great, maybe, but pretty good. You know, I actually would have said like pre-COVID, you know, the for the, the carriers, figuring out this insure tech thing 
was a board level top five issue. Yeah. And I actually think that at a prioritization level, it's fallen outside the top five issues now for them. Now, maybe it's helped by it's a little bit more mainstream than it was a couple years ago. It's a little bit more business as usual. But like, I don't, th- I don't believe that insurance boards are like, oh, what are we going to do for insure tech? How are we going to play in this? Are we getting left behind? Yeah. I think in a year or two, maybe that conversation will come back. But I think right now it's like, all right, what's our liability here? Are any of the courts changing their view yeah. about what we're on the hook for? How are we going to, do we close down our satellite offices or do we keep them open? I actually think that it's just the, the mind share um, of COVID. It's like number one, number two, number three, and pushing other stuff, including tech, below yeah. the line. Martha, what do you think about that? Okay, Caribou, I, I think you're being a little bit of a pessimist today. Um, maybe another cup of coffee would have helped. <laughs> maybe the panic in the boardroom is less about InsureTech, where there is upside for InsureTech today that didn't exist a year ago, is for the companies who address a problem that is causing that panic in the boardroom. So, I think that people who have um, a solution to a big enough problem, for example, core tech, I think is being seen as a bigger part of the problem. Um, Certainly there's an awareness, you know, Duck Creek went public um, and maybe the established core tech that has been in place for so many years is not meeting the needs of people as they need to do more remote. So I think that some of those things actually come to the fore as a solution to a problem that is being identified. Rather than absolutely five years ago, we had a petting zoo mentality, which was, isn't that a clever and ingenious thought? I wonder if there's a place we could use that. And now I think there are some issues where um, insurers are saying, we have a serious problem. Um, We have people who are working from home from our customer service center. And we have, as you guys were talking about with claims, we have consumers who, you know, they don't want to leave the house to buy a car. They certainly don't want to leave the house to have to go get a quote and various other things. How can we use technology to have a convenient way of discussing the problem Have that conversation more rapidly so that the claim doesn't grow over time and then deliver a solution around that. So I think that there are certain targeted solutions. My impression is that some of the nice-to-haves absolutely fall away, but the opportunity is at the larger end. That totally makes sense. You know, I'm I'm thinking about how the need of insured tech has changed and how maybe the direction of insured tech has changed. And and I want to go back to where we were in 2019 into the first stage of 2020 when money was just flowing into this industry. Money was just everywhere. People were raising money and people were investing. How has COVID changed that? I mean, it you know, I guess is the money still there? Is there less of it? Is it or, or, or more? What, what do y'all see? And Martha, why don't, why don't you take that one first? The spigot is wide open. <laughs> I think that um, we are seeing people who have invested in fintech 
reach further into InsureTech and try to track some of the experiences that have incurred on the fintech side. So you have a ton of neobanks now. You have Plaid, which really stitches together the old world and the new world on, on the fin, um, finance side. And everyone is out there seeking for the new Plaid for InsureTech, which can stitch together the old and new ways of doing businesses. So I, I actually think that there is, my theory is this is what happens when you don't let VCs go to conferences, spend their time on airplanes, and go on vacation. They spend all their time thinking about investments and pushing that money out of their funds. And that's what we've really seen over the past year. I don't see any stop. What about you, Caribou? So first of all, you know, I am so rarely called the pessimist in the room that I'm just happy right now. I'm reveling in that because with that context, I can be outlandish and, you know, hey, he's still being a pessimist. So I, I sadly have to agree with Martha. It's not even the VCs, right? It, it sort of starts at the top. It's at the the public markets level. And, you know, no entrepreneur has to answer the question ever again. So you're building an insure tech startup. Can you actually exit over a billion dollars in insure tech? Like, right. I think we know that now. I think we know that multiple times over, maybe you can even build a $10 billion exit, we'll see. But but really like three or four years ago, that was a classic question right, yes. that every entrepreneur had to answer. Not just can you do it, but can anyone do it? Can it, it be done? And now, right, you know, SPAC mania is just really interesting to see. You know, I'm not going to call it a bubble, right? Because that's a, a judgment, but I am going to call it a boom. And, you know, there's a there's just so much capital going into these SPACs right now. And they have the clock is ticking on them. And I can say for sure there are a lot that are that have a, a self-declared mandate around fintech, including the insure tech space. Uh, so, you know, when, when you have the money coming from the top, it's sort of, and, and paying pretty healthy valuations, it flows downstream into uh, the sort of amount of capital and valuations into the, the private VC markets. So if you think about supply and demand, there's this tremendous supply of, of cash. There's a notion sloshing of it apparently is is that what part of what's driving valuations is is that there's just so much inventory and therefore the demand is is sending valuations up well it, it's two factors there's there's supply and demand of just the cash right and you need that sort of big supply of cash chasing after opportunities and there is also the the sort of addressable market is looking bigger and bigger right the sort of notion of digital transformation affecting entire industries and you know how big is big right that answer has changed right the, the number of you know the, the it's it's maybe a little bit simplistic but you know the reference to how many people are on the internet now compared to 20 years ago right so the the notion of building you know a company that you know ends up at a hundred billion dollar market cap someday becomes a lot more realistic when you're leaning into that that huge market and covid accelerating the 
the, the change at the same time. Martha, as somebody on, you know, the cutting edge in a VC, I mean, is it more competitive out there today? Is it harder to find deals or you have to run faster, jump higher? Well, I think it is um, more competitive in a couple of ways. Um, one of them is that I think that entrepreneurs can and should be pickier about where they take their money from in terms of when money is scarce, what you want most is the money. But when money is plentiful, you can take a deep breath and say, who's the right investor and who's the right investor syndicate that can bring more than money to what I'm trying to do here? Mm -hmm. And I think that is, um, that's a switch that, that tends to go on and off over time. But we are definitely in a period where the entrepreneurs can be choosier. And as I said, I think they should be because it adds value to their company in a way that can help accelerate their growth. So I, I think that there are, it is more competitive. And the other way you see competition is not just in valuation, but you see it in speed of financing processes. So venture capitalists get um, enthusiastic about a specific space they will preempt rounds. So certainly for some companies, and we've seen this in the insure tech space, you are seeing people close one round and within six months, someone has preempted the next round. So they suddenly have what they would have thought of as being over three years of cash to really accelerate their growth. And what VCs are doing is they're putting down money at the next series price, but taking the last series risk. And they're doing that because they believe, as Caribou says, that they're going to be able to grow into that value because the market is expanding for insure tech products. Now, now, Martha, I've got a question for you, sort of one of this. You, you talk about the you know, adding value as part of the proposition, how you win the deal as a VC. Um, What's your experience been different between being a corporate VC as you were before and sort of not being directly tied to a, a corporate? Is it easier, harder, one way or the other? So I think that really it, um, it is easier not to be corporate. And part of the reason for that is that there's probably a broader range of value that you can add. So at this point, and in fact, we just made an investment um, and I was able to connect uh, the company with a half dozen of the right people at insurance companies to talk about their product. Now, look, uh, it's their job to talk about the product. We'll see if it sticks. But I was certainly able to open that door for them. When you're a corporate, it is more difficult to make outside introductions as opposed to just an introduction or a connection within your own organization. So I think that some on some of the introduction front, that is a place where being being an independent VC really puts you in a stronger position. With 2021 here, I mean, what is the trend? What is exciting? What is what is shaking things up? What what are people really interested in in the insure tech market? Caribou, what what are you seeing out there? What are people talking about? What is making a big splash? You know, look, first of all, you are seeing interesting exits, right? Yeah. And especially if you're in the VC side, but also if you're the, the entrepreneur, 
Like sure. that's interesting. And you're, you're seeing the exits to the public markets, but then you're also seeing like bold penguin being acquired by American family. Yeah. Like that's interesting. Right. You know, how much of it is the, the start of a trend versus, you know, continuation and regular course of business. We'll see. I think that there's been a trend the last year, year and a half where MGAs are vertically integrating as they form an MGA, they prove some product market fit and that the basic thesis kind of works. And then they expand vertically to becoming the carrier. Absolutely. We've seen that now with a lot of the high flyers. I think there's a lot uh, of merit behind why you would do that, both why you might start as an MGA, but then you know your destiny, if it works, is likely to, to actually be be more of a carrier. And then uh, you know, lastly, this sort of uh, very buzzy notion around embedded insurance, and you know what I like to think of the the extreme end of that around invisible insurance, um, mm -hmm. you know where. You can have insurance that's you know a, a, a soft embed opt in, a hard embed opt out, or even invisible, where like you can't even opt out even if you want to. I think that's you know super interesting and relevant for the startup community, especially. Martha, any any thoughts on that? Uh, I'm all in on embedded. I agree with you about that. We've seen it work in fintech, and I I think that it is particularly relevant in insurance because for some reason people don't wake up and think they want to buy insurance. <laughs> yeah. They wake up and think they want to do something else, which can be a trigger for getting some insurance. So I, I think we're all on the hunt for some of those good opportunities. Um, I do think that the other areas I would focus on are uh, core tech. I think that the time has come for that. And I think the other thing we're seeing the cyber markets are in some disarray, uh, primarily around ransomware. And one of the things that has happened over time is everyone saw a big risk around cyber, but in um, people's individual books, they were seeing relatively low loss ratios. Now I think the loss ratios have crept up to what maybe you expected all along. And I think that in the what the insure techs are really bringing to cyber is much more of a concept of dynamic risk analysis. And so I think that cyber is going to be on the cutting edge of that. Yeah. And my prediction on this front is that insure techs are actually going to lap the incumbent insurers in terms of figuring out how to understand an unpredictable risk where the past is not a good guide to the future. Yeah. Martha, is that a solvable problem? I hear where you're coming from, but I I worry that, you know, not only will it be a challenge for the incumbents, but it could be a challenge for startups too, is no matter how savvy they are, it's just maybe fundamentally unpredictable. Like, you know, I've got five years of hurricane history, you know, how, how do I figure out what my likelihood of a cat five is across Miami, you know, maybe if I have a hundred years of history, even there, I'm not sure, but with five years, how do I know? It sort of feels to me like we're just at five years of, of hurricane history when it comes to cyber and who the heck, how, how do you know that you, it's, it's the unknown unknowns, right? To worry about. 
I agree with you. I think it is very difficult. Um, I think that what the insurtechs have as an advantage is they don't have a historical mindset. So, and I think that starting very much from a tech-enabled front, they are thinking all the time about what new data sets can I go get that will help me understand the kind of risk. How can I analyze the people who are being hacked and the ways that they're being hacked? And how can I put together, um, and this probably jumps right into claims, but how can I put together a team that pulls my clients out of the problems that they have when they get hacked? So I definitely agree with you. I don't think it's an easy answer on that, but I would also push you on your hurricane analysis and say, and, and we have already mentioned Texas, but, and say that actually that's another space where climate is having such a big impact mm-hmm. on weather events that in mm-hmm. fact, we need to make sure that we're not only looking at history. We have uncharted territory in front of us where history is not going to be a good guide in the same way that it has been for things like hurricanes and extreme weather. Well, and, and since I'm I'm taking the role today, Martha, of uh, the pessimist, um, I have to point out for the life insurance industry as well, right? So pandemics, although you can roughly expect that they'll happen once a century, I suppose. Yeah. I was reading how you know COVID is actually having a marked impact on life expectancy yeah. in the U.S., right? And you know that's obviously terrible on many dimensions. And one of the practical implications is what does it actually mean for the life insurance business? Again, it's sort of uh, you know the so-called black swan events. Um, I, I just think that uh, you know cyber is uh, is uh, a whole uh, you know pond of black swans swimming around. I'm trying to be the pessimist here, Martha, and you go agreeing with me. What, what's going on here? <laughs> I think one of the things we have to realize is uh, black swans actually occur more often than we pretend they do. But I I think that we are definitely entering, in terms of risk, we are entering into an eyes wide open period where risk is different from the way we've thought about it in the past. I agree. We're seeing it, you know, on the claims end of things because we deal with it, you know, at at the end of it all, at the end of the insurance equation. It just feels like between global pandemics and weather alone, and there's more, and cyber, that the number of potential risks out there are growing. It's getting dicier out there in the world. An entrepreneur whom I really like, um, Charles Merritt at, at Buddy Insurance, he, he's got a great turn of phrase that I love. And, and it's in, especially in the context of, of COVID and you know, like, you know, people going to ITC in October. He, he says, reopening requires a new relationship with risk. And, and I really think that's true. Like as we very come true. to grips with like, okay, you know, what is our relationship with risk? How do we put it in context? Right. right. You know, what, what does COVID mean? Right. And what is, what is an acceptable risk when I'm underwriting cyber risk? What is acceptable risk or how do I manage it? Right. And when I think about, do I go to the grocery store today or not? Like yeah. reopening requires a new relationship with risk. I think he captured it really nicely. You know, I want to touch on one other theme, and that's the theme of consolidation. Good example is we saw Risk Genius be acquired by Bold Penguin, be acquired by AmFam. 
that that's kind of a new twist in the marketplace. Do you all see that of insurtechs eating their own, if you will, and rolling up? Yeah, I think that that, that is definitely um, something that we're going to see. And in some ways, the bold penguin one's quite an interesting example because the reason that that transaction could occur was because Bold Penguin could actually recognize more value from what Risk Genius was doing because they had a bigger business, not just in doing exactly the same thing, but it solved a specific problem that they had looking at existing policies and trying to figure out what to sell someone next year. And that was something Risk Genius wasn't doing before that. And in addition, of course, Bold Penguin picked up a team of data scientists. And anytime you can pick up a team of data scientists in these days, day and age, um, I think that's a positive. But I, but I think that we're seeing some of those holes um, being uh, uh, where someone uh, who is a growth company themselves is, is making the same boring old kind of decisions. Is this a buy or build situation? And if someone else has built a huge portion of that capability and has a functioning team going and lifting those people up. Yeah, it's also a very natural part of the sort of venture life cycle. So, you know, if you think about wave after wave of, of entrepreneurs are coming in here, trying to build interesting stuff, getting funded by investors, you know, VCs normally expect a third of their investments you know, could easily get written off, go to zero. Uh, for Martha, she's really good. So it's probably what, like one in 10, not one in three. But like, <laughs> you know, and, and then you expect, you know, another third to be kind of sideways flat, you know, maybe accrue some value, but not necessarily to the moon. And then a third or so you're hoping, you know, just do extraordinarily well. You know, and just across, if you aggregate that across all the venture backed companies, you know, it would be no surprise that if you see, some of the companies, you know, looking for a soft landing. I'm not saying that about Risk Genius. I, I don't know the, the situation there, but you know, just at large across the industry, you you should expect. I mean, you should expect some of the startups to have to close up shop, some to sort of capitulate and and sell in a, a soft landing, some to keep going and 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 all the way, uh, you know, till the spacs are buying them. I, I just think it's um, it's actually the mark of a healthy venture ecosystem. When you see some of the the smaller folks, you know, throwing in the towel or being acquired or following a natural evolution like that, because, you know, w what we need is the venture community to be funding all sorts of ideas, including some wild, risky ideas, some of which are going to work out and some won't. And we should celebrate um, the ones which don't work out almost as much as we celebrate the ones which do. I mean, there's, there's one person I know who sort of dances on the graves when, when they find out that startups, uh, uh, you know, fail. And I, I just, you know, sticks me the wrong way. Like yeah. we should celebrate them even when Absolutely. they fail. Absolutely. Even when they fail. Yeah, because even I, if I they agree. failed, I guarantee they made a difference and an impact on another entrepreneur who spun an idea out of something. I think, I think that we still encourage. Let's take a little bit of a right turn here over to Las Vegas. It's hard to have you on Caribou without bringing up ITC, um, which was a kind of a insuretech force of nature for several years. And then the pandemic hit and it disrupted 
everything substantially, including the conference that you're a part of. Um, but it's on the books for the fall. Um, can you talk for a second about any, any thoughts on uh, ITC and, go, and going forward this year? Yeah, well, you know, I, I will say it's tough to organize a mass gathering during a pandemic, right? Yeah. And, and that was tough last year. Despite Martha's claim, I actually am an optimist, um, and, and I do uh, follow the the case numbers and the vaccinations um, more closely than I should, perhaps. But I I am actually quite optimistic that by you know May or June at the latest, every adult in the U.S. who wants the vaccine will have it available. I actually am you know quite optimistic that we'll be able to host Insure Tech Connect in October uh, in a way that is prudent and safe uh, for everyone. Um, so yeah, first week of October uh, at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And I think that's, there is a need that an event like InsureTech Connect, you know, meets for people, right? Yeah. And, and, and actually, there's a little bit of a social need at this point, too. Like, I, I think a lot totally. of people want to see their colleagues and not just Absolutely. in two dimensions, but in three. Uh, but I think that the, there's also, you know, one of my favorite things is hearing about people met at ITC and then some deal got done. Maybe they got funded or some partnership was created. You know, that is so satisfying. And it's not that you can't do those things, right, without going to a conference, but it, it sure is actually a lot easier if you can have those, those meetings in rapid succession, the meetings you want to have and the meetings you didn't even know you wanted to have, right? Yeah. That's sort of serendipity. You know, we, we, we actually, you know, like I'm, I'm a little selfish in that I want ITC to happen, but I actually think it's, it's valuable for the industry in a, in a meaningful way. No, I, I totally agree with you. You were talking about weighing the risk of travel and what it's worth at night. I have personally weighed, weighed any risk of traveling for ITC and the, it's totally worth it. I mean, the amount of work that can get done at ITC is just crazy. You see, you see thousands of meetings going on. I've attended, you know, tens of twenties of meetings there at ITC myself. I mean, it's just, it's just a really great time. And I agree with you that the industry needs it. The industry uh, is, is itching to get back to see each other, but then insured tech as a whole needs a place to be able to advertise, show off what they've done. Uh, they've, they've kind of been quiet. They have not had a large stage to stand on and say, look at us. And I think that's, that's exactly what needs to happen. And I think our job is to make sure there's a kind of a local herd immunity at it and that it's, you know, safer than if you stayed home, uh, kind of. There you go. <laughs> Mar Martha, we'll see you there, right? Absolutely. I've already signed up. Well, certainly on a social level, like you mentioned, Caribou, I mean, we're all itching to see our friends and and hear from interesting people that we maybe don't get to cross paths with on a regular basis. And that's exciting. Martha, you brought up earlier that, you know, things aren't getting done in bars. I remember a year ago, you talking right. about that there's no replacement for, you know, going out to dinner with people that you're going to invest in and getting to breaking know them bread. and getting to know the teams, breaking bread. Has this taught us something different? Or do you think that it just, it's just something that we'll all go back to and, and it'll be unchanged? I do have in my head an outstanding question, which is, have we always over-indexed on interpersonal relations that we've always thought that we were getting something out of the visit to the office and uh, you know the team dinner? But actually, I think one of the things that Zoom is 
not very good at is bringing across the dynamics. It has to be a pretty dysfunctional team for you to really pick up on some of the team dynamics in a way that you do naturally when you are in the presence of the full team and you're seeing who's talking, how are they, um, how are they passing the ball amongst themselves. On Zoom, that is more stilted, and I don't think that you get the same kind of feeling. Um, we've made up for it, I think, by uh, probably interacting a lot more frequently when we are interacting on video, so that, first of all, uh, even the most minor interaction now is a Zoom call. It's very unusual that you know somebody would just call you on the phone, um, but also that uh, we will in when we are evaluating a company, we will do more frequent and smaller uh, chunks as opposed to going in and spending half a day in the office. So, but I, my my suspicion is we will in the future take a lot more time virtually before we feel the need to um, uh, to get together in person or the reverse, where if we have met the person um, at ITC or elsewhere, uh, that then we will feel more comfortable interacting. And I think that that will also cut down time because there won't be the tyranny of travel schedules. Right. Yeah, I, I, th I think there's a, a big distinction between first pitch and last pitch in the mm. new normal, right? First pitch, I think the barriers to first pitch go down and become actually a lot more inclusive. And I, I'm a guy who lives in Richmond, Virginia. There are not many VC funds based in Richmond, Virginia. There are some entrepreneurs. Uh, and I think that the, the barrier for them to get that first pitch meeting with some VC in Silicon Valley or New York goes down considerably. Right. It's okay. You can you can do that pitch right from Richmond now. You don't have to jump on a plane every time for every first pitch. Absolutely. Once it's okay, safe and prudent to be meeting in person, right? The last pitch might actually have to be in person. All right, we're about to write you a term sheet. We do want to see you in our offices, or we want to make the hop to see you in your offices. I think that actually is a is not inappropriate and actually becomes a, a much healthier dynamic. Right, and and ultimately one that is at least geographically more inclusive. So before we go, I'm going to give you both one last shot here, so that we can hold you to it a year from now. Martha, you like you like to uh, prognosticate. Let's let's hear what you're thinking about a year from now. You mean where do I think InsureTech will be a year from now? Sure. As Caribou was just saying, I think we will open up, but I think that we will be have much more of a hybrid mindset. I think that there are consumer factors which will affect both the companies that we invest in and people with their work attitudes about what tolerance they have for travel and for working away from the home versus in the home, how, how we balance those things and how much of their time they're um, willing to invest in certain activities. So I think that there's some sort of big changes that will remain there. Um, I think actually by the second anniversary of COVID, we will have figured out that we are living with this. There'll be a pattern of vaccines, which are booster shots. It'll be much more regular in our lives. And I think it will fade to the background. Yeah, I, I agree for sure with what Martha says there about the 
the actual treatment of COVID and the vaccinations and such. I would say I believe that among the startup startups, at least, uh, and and therefore among VCs, perhaps even too, uh, it becomes more and more winner take most, right? So you'll have a handful of exceptional winners uh, in terms of results, outcomes, financial profile, and you know everyone else. You know I, I don't know that if that's good or bad at a social level, but I think it's actually you know the most likely outcome here, and uh, so it, it, it sort of further exacerbates VC math, right? A VC fund, its results are driven by how big are your couple of winners, not do you have, you know, uh, a bunch of losers, or one, one in three losers, one in 10, one in two, right? And I think that uh, the magnitude of your winners will only get bigger. Um, and that's what's going to matter. So uh, and then I think, and then I think we're in a, for a year or two of roaring twenties and, uh, then maybe the music stops. <laughs> well, we're I told certainly... you he was feeling pessimistic today. I'm a short-term optimist. It's going to be great for a little while here. Strap in. Caribou, you've been in that basement of maybe a little too long now. I, I probably have. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to get some sunlight. Maybe it, it's been a long, cold February, right? We can all agree with that. You know, Las Vegas has a lot of sunshine. Just saying. I, I, I've got it. I've already bought my tickets. There you go. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, we can't thank you two enough, not only for today, but for your support of our podcast over time. And uh, we love having you guys and really treasure your time and your contribution and the great information that you shared with us today. And we uh, thank you for being with us. And of course, ask you, will you please return at some point in the future? Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been a delight. Always a pleasure to have Caribou and Martha on. They're lively. They're intelligent. They are experts in this space. And it's such a privilege to have them. I love it whenever they're on. I look forward to it. In fact, today I woke up and I saw that Caribou and Martha were going to be on, and I was very excited. I'm excited to talk about trends, where we've been, where we're going. It's just always a delight to get to visit with them. Yeah, and and if anybody knows firsthand what's going on, it's them. They're students of the industry and students of the process. And so we thank them for making the time and, uh, and caring enough to, to share their thoughts uh, with our community. And uh, we thank all of you f- for being with us today and for being part of our community. And until next time, we say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>